Hey, what's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today is day 49, and we're going to cover Numbers chapter 12 and 13. We're making our way through Numbers. We're starting to see that God now has Israel in the dojo or the gym to practice the code of holiness he's given them. He's trained them and taught them how to be holy in the classroom. Now they are marching out. We saw just yesterday in chapter 10 that they marched out from Mount Sinai and now they're in the wilderness and they're moving toward the promised land. I'll read it. We saw in chapter 11, that rabble we talked about that came with them out of Egypt is starting to instigate and stir up problems and complain. And it's causing Israel to complain. And it's even to the fact where God had to unleash his wrath and struck them with a severe plague. We also got to see in the midst of that, we got a doctrine of regeneration in its infancy. Obviously, we don't see the Holy Spirit indwelling anyone in the Old Testament. The only isolated example we get is Ezekiel, where the Spirit indwells him. But for the most part in the Old Testament, the Spirit will come upon someone and it doesn't indwell anybody truly until the New Testament, which Ezekiel is a microcosm of that. But here we see the Holy Spirit resting upon 70 people. And not only does that teach us what must happen, Moses is like, aha, I get it. This, what happened to me, must happen to everybody. Everybody must be endowed with the power that I have in order for this to work. Everybody's stony heart may, must be a heart of flesh in order for them to be in right standing with God. Otherwise, they'll always grumble and complain and be a faithless people, which is why Moses says, I would that everybody have this, Joshua. Don't report this back to me as if I would be jealous. And so we get that. But also we notice that the spirit is there. We've seen Yahweh there on earth throughout the Old Testament as well. And we've seen Yahweh above in heaven. And so now we're starting to get a good glimpse of the Trinity. And really the only other time we had it is in Genesis 1, where it says that God said, and the spirit hovered over the waters. And so you have the Holy Spirit there. You have God, the father speaking, and then you have the word, a theology of the word who will become flesh, which is Jesus Christ there. But we really don't get many examples of the full Trinity. Obviously these people would have known of this in its infancy stage but it doesn't fully develop until later. So we enter chapter 12 and Miriam and Aaron, and now we get rebellion even as high to the point of leadership. Miriam and Aaron rebel against Moses. So it says Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. So let's stop there because this word Cush, we even talked about in the table of nations in Genesis 10, is where the African descent flows from. And so this is obviously an Ethiopian woman, and it's upsetting Miriam and Aaron to the point where they speak on it. So a lot of theologians say this can't be Zipporah because she's been with them the whole time. Why would they just now start to have a problem with it? So you have some debate there whether Zipporah may have died and he was a widow for a season and he remarried. And this woman he remarried, they were upset with. Or it could have just been them speaking their frustrations that they had all the while because they're now in the wilderness and they just need something to grumble and complain about. But it really doesn't matter what position you take there. We just see that they're speaking against Moses in this way. And we see the heart 
it was really just a flashpoint to begin with because we see the heart behind what they really wanted to attack. They say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. And so jealousy is starting to arise. I think it's, the point is very well taken. We just left the chapter of when God laid the spirit on 70 elders and they prophesied. Maybe Aaron and Miriam are a little jealous because they weren't a part of that 70. And they're saying, how come the Lord can't use us? He's used us before. Moses, is he only going to speak through him? Because he's spoken through us before and he can use us. And so here we have it. When people fail to stay in their lane, problems arise. And here's one. And I keep mentioning this. We're going to get this again with Kohath. Remember, they get to control the furnishings in the Ark of the Covenant. The ones of the Aaronic priesthood are the ones who can actually handle it. And it's no fun when you're second place. And so this is going to rear its ugly head again with Kohath. And we'll see that very soon. But right now, let's cover Aaron and Miriam. So what happens here, the Lord comes down, verse 5, in the pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So when we hear God is a friend, He's a true friend. He has our back in the midst of adversity. So he stands up and his anger burns and he strikes Miriam with leprosy. And she is as white as snow in verse 10. And then 11, then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I beg, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. And so you see this with Aaron time and time again. When the heat drops, he gets the confessing. <laughs> he gets the bumping his gums and running his lips like water. And this is why I keep calling him a pushover. But this is Moses' lot now. And so Moses cries out to the Lord and the Lord tells him, hey, she's going to be put outside the camp for seven days and they have to wait on her. Now, think about this. This is one of the leaders of the women. She broke out in song and timbrel. In Exodus 15, with the song to the Lord after they parted the Red Sea. And now the leader of all of the women there is not in the camp. She's outside of the camp where you put the lepers, where you put those who are unclean. Remember, if we're looking from the outside in, these are the people who aren't in the camp. They aren't holy and they must remain outside until they're holy again. And that's happening to one of your female leaders. And so think about how embarrassing that is to Miriam, but also think about what the crowd and the other women and the other people are thinking. They're like, man, nobody is exempt here. God is holy. And that's why leaders shouldn't be exempt, because if what applies to the flock applies to the leadership, it will cause the flock to say, hey, we absolutely must obey because there are no exemptions here, which is why Timothy makes that argument that if you rebuke the leaders, it will put fear in the hearts of all men. And so we move into chapter 13 
And so the Lord speaks to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. And you shall send a man from each of their father's tribe, everyone a leader among them. And so Moses sent them from the wilderness. And so you get a naming of all of the people who goes out and they go, verse 21, they spy out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob. And they had gone into the Negev and came to Hebron and they cut down a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. And when they had, and when they had returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days, listen to that, 40 days, we're going to bring that back up. That's going to be significant. I can't cover it today because it makes its significance in chapter 14. And so they bring a word back, and this is the word that they bring back. So they show the fruit, and they say to them, hey, it certainly flows with milk and honey. No qualms there. That's accurate. But nevertheless, the people who live in that land, they are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the Jordan. But then look at this. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they spied out saying, the land which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. And these are the Nephilim that we talked about in the past. And so look at what we have here. We're going to get more details when we talk about this next time. But Caleb is a man of faith. And why is that significant? Because that's what God has been working in them the whole time. He's been producing people of faith, just like Abraham. That's their constitution. And that's the type of people that he wants. But the others don't have faith. They're doubting. And they're given a bad report. And this is very bad. This is the exact opposite of the people that God wanted to create. This is apostasy. When God tells you something is very good and you can do it and you go back and report that, no, it's very bad and we can't do it. This is the quickest way to get on God's bad side. God is a God of the heart. He didn't create robots for a reason. And when he tells you something and gives you his word, we best obey. Because if we don't, we see the strongest side of the Lord. We see his wrath unmixed without end so far, so badly to where he'll start over again. And I want us to close on a sober note. Nothing activates God more than an unholy people and this, a faithless people. Remember, Christianity is a religion of the heart. If we cease to have faith, no matter how big the obstacles are, no matter if the cities are fortified, no matter if the military is well-equipped, no matter if the leadership is strong, and even if there are Nephilim there that make us look like grasshoppers in their sight, we must obey the word of the Lord 
over what we see with our eyes. Because we always must remember, one plus God is always the majority. You guys take care, and I'll catch you next time.